Cyrus sends them back to build, if you will, the temple of God or for God. Chapter 2 gives us a list of individuals that proceeded, if you will, the second exodus in the life of the Israelis. Chapter 3, they build the the ark. They build the, the altar of God. And then in chapter 4, they're, they're faced with it being stopped. And for a period of 15 years, confusion reigned. I kind of wonder if Zerubbabel and Jeshua wondered, wait a minute. God, you directed this, and we haven't finished everything yet. Why? Why is always a question that comes out of confusion. Why didn't things work out the way we wanted them to do? Why are things going the way that they're going now? Why, why, why? This morning, I, I hope, I trust that God will lead us through chapter 5 and chapter 6 to what I see in there, the wonder and the glory of God working in the midst of confusion and what he's doing. I will tell you this, and in fact, it's the last point of the conclusion that is there for your study notes, that God is purposely and intending to bless those people that if they're willing to keep and willing to do his word, they will prosper in whatever they do. But in the realm of confusion, the the finality of that is, is lost in the question of why. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for reminding us of the frailty that we have in life. We have colds, we have nasal passages, infections, upper respiratory infections. But more importantly, we have confusion. Moments of confusion can draw our eyes away from from what you fully intend for us to see. We know that you are the God of order, that there is no confusion, there is no wandering in you. But we have an enemy. And the enemy is always showing up always interjecting into our lives confusion. We lose sight of the truth of your word because we're caught in the fog of confusion. We lose the energy of your promises because we're weighed down with the weight of confusion. We're at wit's end 
because we have lost sight of the direction because we're in the state of confusion. God, from your word this morning, give to us that which we lack, things that we need to know and to understand and to put into practice what you have from your word. Help us to understand that in days of an acts of confusion, you remain the same. And that is upon which we can place our full trust. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us even this morning these moments of confusion. For we have not lost sight of who you are. We laugh about it. We smile about it. But yet, Lord, you've just taken us through. And we're grateful for your hand of grace. May your word ring true to our hearts today. Holy Spirit, teach us. Reveal to us the truths. Open your word to us in a real form of application to our lives that we would understand fully that if we're intent upon keeping and doing your word, that you will bless in whatever we do. We'll be careful to praise you and thank you in your name, O Lord God. Amen. Chapter 5 of the book of Ezra and chapter 6 of the book of Ezra should be done together. You, you can't really separate them. That doesn't mean we're going to have a two-hour sermon because we're looking at two chapters. I could if you wish to, but I'm afraid that I would lose most of you through the first half hour. But the, chapter 5 begins with a very interesting promise. And I want you to see that. It, it says in chapter 5 and verse 1, Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idol, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. What's so glamorous and so great about that verse is that the building has stopped. And the individuals led by Zerubbabel and Jeshua are wondering, where do we go from here? And God sends to them these two prophets. I encourage you throughout this week to go back and read the book of Haggai, it's only three chapters, you won't get lost. And the book of Zechariah. Now the great thing about them is that the one's right after the other. You got Haggai and then you got Zechariah. Zechariah's a little bit longer. He, he, he's more of an artistic writer. Haggai is to the point. This is the way it is. Put it down. Let's not waste time. Let's get right at it. Like my wife, let's get right at it. Here's the list. This is what we got to do. Okay, fine. 
I'm... Then I have daughters who are more of the Zechariah form. Can't we just embellish this a little bit? But God sends both of these individuals. You know what that, that reminds me of? Though you, you have it there listed, who said you could build? The, the heads of that region come to Zerubbabel and Jeshua and ask them, who gave you the right to build? And what are their names? I'm going to direct your attention to a couple of places. Write these down, and then you can go back and look at them for yourself. But I do want to take you to a couple of places. Turn to the book of Haggai, just so that you'll know where it's at. It's towards the end of the Bible, or the Old Testament. You'll come across it if you keep thumbing. If you need a page number, go to the table of context, and it'll tell you what page to turn to. But go to the prophet Haggai. Haggai is right after Zephaniah, which is right after Habakkuk, which is right after Nahum, which is right after Micah. So you're in that neighborhood. Haggai. Turn to Haggai, to the, the third chapter, I'm sorry, the first chapter of Haggai in verse 8. Now, now this is what God is saying through the prophet of Haggai, to these people. Verse 8, he says, Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Now turn over to verse 12 through 15. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheotiel, and Joshua, now don't get, ex- don't, don't get nervous, Joshua is the Hebrew name of Jeshua in the book of Ezra, okay? Just want to let you know, it's not two different people, same person, just different language, okay? Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheotiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel by the son of Sheotiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day, the sixth month, in the second year of King Darius. Who said you could build? Their answer? God. God said. What, what can we take from this, from this particular first verse of chapter 5 of the book of Ezra? What, what can we take from that? It's this. 
When the world says you can't, but the Word of God says you can, who are you going to listen to? Even in the midst of confusion, <laughs> God says, I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. Come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. Take my yoke upon you. All of that in the midst of confusion. Zerubbabel and Jeshua, notice what it said, and all the remnant, their spirits were ignited. They took to heart, to soul, even to the depths of their spirit, the words of God saying, go ahead, go to the mountains, get the wood, and start building. When the world around us says we cannot, and God says you can, who are you going to believe? In the midst of confusion, God's word is always true. And when you're wondering what it is that you should be doing, and if you go to the word of God and you find it, and if you do that which it says for you to do, God will bless. God will bless. Who said you could build it? There's another interesting insight, though, that if we don't go to the book of Zechariah, we'll miss out. It has to do with this point. Go to Zechariah chapter 3. Don't have to turn much. Remember Haggai, short chapters, done. But go to verse chapter 3 and in verse 1 and 2. Zechariah chapter 3, 1 and 2. Recognize, hear the word of the Lord, dear people, this morning. Zechariah has a lot of visions. Here's one that he shares in verse three, chapter 3, 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Now everybody, and who was standing there also? I didn't hear you. One more time. Satan is there. Here you've got Joshua... Over there, you got Satan. And in between, you've got the angel of the Lord who, according to Old, not-so-New Testament, I almost said the curse word old, not-so-New Testament is referred to the angel of the Lord as no one else than Jesus Christ himself. What does in verse 2 what does this angel say? And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. 
when the leaders of the forces that were against the building of the temple come to Zerubbabel and Joshua, Jeshua, and say to them, who told you you could build? I'm here to tell you this morning that the forces of darkness were there speaking through the voices of those leaders to try to stop something that cannot be stopped. Dear people, let me reiterate it one more time so you got it down. If you haven't written it down, I'm going to say it. You can go to the website and you'll hear it again. Everything that is physical and visible is controlled by that which is spiritual and invisible, both good and evil. Those individual men who came to Zerubbabel and Jeshua and said, who said you could build, were marching to the orders of what Zechariah saw in chapter 3 and in verse 1 and 2. They were marching to the orders of Satan. Don't get upset by what the world does. They have no recourse but to do what their king says to do. We, on the other hand, have a choice to make. And it has two parts. And it's a choice we make, must make every single day. The choice is this. Will I obey and do God's will or won't I? That's the choice. The world, on the other hand, has no choice. They must do what their king says they must do. And so when Zechariah sees this vision, he knows who's behind it, Satan, but he also knows that the angel of the Lord says to him, it's going to be on tape, but that's okay. Shut up. I rebuke you. Leave. Now that ought to stir your hearts. Because in the midst of confusion, who's working it? He's trying to strife us all up. He's trying to discourage our hearts. But we have a king who says, be gone, rebuke you. Now understand what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 when he talks about we have an adversary, the devil, who roams around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. So we are to resist him. But dear brothers and sisters, we don't resist him in our strength. We resist him in the power and the might of the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's already been rebuked. Leave. And Zerubbabel 
and Jeshua are ignited by these words. Zechariah, let me give you a couple passages for you to read later on. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 12 to 17. And then Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 to 10. Dictate directives from the Lord God saying, build it, it's going to get done. I'm going to show up in Jerusalem. I am going to take residence in my temple. Build it. No wonder they got going at it. Ezra chapter 5. When they started to begin the building. Who said you could build this? God. God said. What right do you have to go up to somebody and say, We have every right to ask that question because that's the question God says for us to ask. Make disciples. What gives you the right to say that sin is sin? Uh, God. God does. I was at a highlight of my year yesterday. I was at the state wrestling tournament finals. It was so cool. I was in section 106, row C. You know what row C is? Three rows from the mats. I was where the action was. Two older gentlemen sitting next to me, wonderful, were sitting there. Weight class 160 pounds comes up, and all of a sudden I see three young men come down and sit in front of us. They said, are these seats taken? No, they're not. They're empty. But I'll have to tell you that previously there were some people who tried to sit there and an attendant came down and he said, show me your ticket. Oh, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Show me your ticket. Well, and those... Those younger ones, they showed the ticket, and, and, and the attendant said to them, you got to go over here. You, you can't sit here. You got to go over here. And I said, so do you have a ticket? I'm fishing. Two old guys sitting next to me, they're hearing all this. I'm fishing. And, and then the young man said, oh, I'll put my hand on the Bible and swear. I was, that's kind of cool, but I didn't see the attendant bring a Bible. But I'm interested in telling you about the Bible. Right then the whistle blew, Matt started, they were done. They, who gave me the right to do that? God. You want my name? I'll give you my name. I'll give you my phone number. Call me. Don't ever let the forces of darkness whisper in your ear, you can't. When the word of God says you can. And it stirs our spirits to know that what we're doing for God 
He will bless. Oh, my word, three more points to go, and I'm not even. Ezra chapter 6. I'm sorry, chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. Tatanei and Shethar Buznei are not satisfied with that. So what do they do? They write a letter to Darius. They didn't know that God had already been there. Darius, let me remind you who he is. He is the king of the Persian Mede Empire, and guess who just happens to be there? Daniel. Daniel's already been in the lion's den. God brought him out. And Darius, you read it for yourself, go back to the book of Daniel. Darius says to, to Daniel, there is no God like yours. And he made a decree that all of his kingdom will know and understand the God of Daniel. I commented on that before because I just want to tell you something, dear people. God has you at a place for a specific purpose that may not happen right away, but down the road, you're going to infect somebody. God's going to use you if you allow him to. Yet he, you may have to go into a lion's den. You may have to be there, but God has a plan to use you. And so the question is, are you willing for God to use you? Are you willing? Are you willing to follow him no matter what? You see, Darius was already affected by the witness of Daniel that when he gets a letter from Tentanei and his cohort asking to search out a record to see because these people, these Jewish people, want to build a temple. And we stopped it before. They said, you go back to chapter 5, and from verse 6 to verse 17, and you read the letter that Tetanai wrote. They said that Cyrus gave them permission. I'm giving you the gist of it. So Darius, we're asking you to check the record. Check it out. Are they telling the truth? Well, Darius did what they asked. And guess what he found? He found the original decree from Cyrus. And he sent it back to Tetanei. Are you willing to let your life be written in such a way that when the forces of darkness call it into being a witness 
what will it say? A piece of paper that was written 15 years earlier, God safely tucked it away to a place that he knew it was going to be pulled out later. God has tucked you away to a place that he knows it's going to be pulled out later. And what will the letter say? Your life is a letter for Jesus Christ. What will it say? They found the letter and sent it back. And the letter sort of says this. If you know what's good for you, don't interfere with the building. Darius says it a little bit more tactfully than I just did. He said, if you try to stop it, well, in fact, let me, let me fill this out for you just a little bit. Notice the command in verse chapter 6, verse 7. Let the work of this house of God alone. Leave it alone. Don't try to stop it. Leave it alone. That's the command. The cost, verse 8. Let the costs of the building be paid at the king's expense. I'll take care of it. The king said, cost is on me. I wonder if we can get Donald Trump to pay for the building over there. Wouldn't that be cool? Some of you write a letter to him. You never know. You have not because you ask not. But you know what? <clears throat> I'd really rather let God work through us <laughs> and let him get all the glory. That's going to happen, by the way. We got, we got the command, we got the cost, but here's the caution. Chapter 6, 11 and 12. Also, I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected and let him be hanged on it and let his house be made a refuge heap because of this. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it or to destroy this house of God, which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree, let it be done diligently. In chapter 6 and verse 13, Tatanei and Shestar Bosnei say, okay, go ahead, build. Took them four years 
to build the temple. The chapter finishes with a praise. Let God be praised. If you'll notice that they have a celebration. Notice in verse 15. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. They started to build the second year of the reign of Darius. Now they finished the sixth year, four years. But don't overlook the month, Adar. Why is that so important? Well, to you and I, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But to them, the month of Adar was a celebration of what's called the Festival of Lots. It was usually held on the 15th day of the month of Adar, which is sort of in our calendar, October, September thing. But it's in that month of Adar, the festival of lots, that you've got to go back to the book of Esther. And in Esther chapter 3 and verse 7, Haman casts lots to see what day that he wants the destruction of the Jewish people to happen. Well, you know the story of Esther. God prevented it. And so this month of Adar, that the temple was finished and the people begin to have a celebration, is because once again, God has spared his people. The building couldn't be stopped because God intervened. And so the month of Adar and the festival of lots is a celebration that once again we have been protected by the hand of God. For us as believers, you know what's so important about this? Is that moment by moment we are protected from the forces of darkness by the very presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. No, we don't have a festival of lots, but we should have a day of praise. Amen? We, we, one of the reasons we come on Sunday is to praise the Lord for getting us through this past week. Forces of darkness have been attacking you. Can someone give me an amen? Darkness has been, confusion has reigned in some of your days, but I'm here to tell you that we have a king who will willingly keep us from the forces of darkness. We have nothing to fear. Nothing. Can you imagine that praise meeting they had? <laughs> Temple is finished. And they praise the Lord. 
But it doesn't stop there. Because notice, if you will, as the chapter closes in verse 19 on through 22, on the 14th day of the first month, according to the religious calendar of celebration for the Jewish people, they have Passover. They celebrate Passover. And then, with that, they celebrate Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, to get the full impact of this, you've got to go all the way back to Moses and the Passover. Why is this so important? The first Passover, interestingly enough, is recorded in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is get out. <laughs> We're leaving town. We're going home. And they celebrate this Passover. And then they incorporate with that, the Passover is usually held the 14th or the 15th day of that particular month, followed immediately by seven days of what's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. His blood, oh, I can't wait for, for, for Easter this year. It's on April's 1st. Sermon title, let me let you know one more time. Don't be an April fool. Don't be an April fool. Jesus Christ shed his blood that the death of sin is passed over. We've been set free. The unleavened bread, the feast of unleavened bread, is in, if you will, acknowledgement that once the Passover happened, the next day they were leaving, so they had to make provisions quick. They didn't have time to let yeast rise the bread. They made it out of no yeast, which according to scriptures, yeast is also significant because it, it dynamically shows us what sin can do. But what's interesting, too, it's called matzah. Matzah. You know what matzah means? In Hebrew, no yeast, no sin. We got matzah crackers that we eat for communion. That's significant from the fact that we are partaking of the body, a representation of the body of Christ, and in his body there is no sin, no, no sin at all. 1 John chapter 1. Matzah. So these people are celebrating the building of the temple. It's finished. God is showing up. Let's celebrate. And to remember the Passover is that which was significant to the exodus of Moses now has been significant to the fact that we have left Babylon and we're home. We're home. Passover is significant in this realm too, dear people. Is that there's a day when we're leaving this earth 
and we're going home because our Savior is our Passover. We're going home. So we should rejoice. And in fact, the Apostle Paul recognizes this fact when he says, therefore, you should walk worthy of the vocation you have been called. Matzah. Get rid of sin in your life. Walk worthy. Closing conclusion is this. Number one. Just when you feel all is lost, remember the promises of God. Zerubbabel and Jeshua, their hearts were stirred when they heard the words of Haggai and Zechariah. In the midst of confusion, it was made clear, build the temple. And they began. Secondly, it's this. God will cause those who keep his word to prosper in whatever they do. Are you a keeper of the word today? Remember the decision. I will either follow the will of God or I won't. I trust you will choose the first one. Because I guarantee you the benefits are tremendous because God will prosper you in whatever you do. Let's pray. Father, our time is gone, but I'm glad that your word remains. I pray, God, that you would take your words this morning and apply it to our hearts in the areas of that we need to recognize that even in the midst of confusion, our God will not only encourage us, but he will also cause us to prosper. If we are bent, if we are intentional in doing and keeping his word. May that be the desire of our hearts, that we would honor you in all that we say and do. And we'll praise you in your name, O Lord God. Amen.